Well, if you're looking at the title, Biblical Teaching About Pornea, that is not the actual uh, request that I had, but I'm using the Greek word there. I had a request a couple weeks ago to speak on uh, specifically fornication, uh, and I'm always glad to speak on any topic you give me. It's been a little while since we've gone back and addressed this. Um, we do mention the word or the topic, uh, and we quickly move on by, as you guys know, because it's a little uncomfortable, and we don't want to sit and dwell on it. So uh, it does need to be addressed, and it does need to be addressed somewhat delicately. And the reason is, is I do not want to be um, considered crude or obnoxious or, or even too frank, and yet at the same point, we can't be so naive as to think that there are people that do either do not understand what this is or um, because we evade it all the time, don't think it's an issue. So I kind of have to start off that way. With that being said, and as I look around, and I'm looking at uh, the different age groups in here, I'm going to be very careful with a, a number of the words. Uh, I will use some words that we hear every day in society. I'll always use the correct term. I'm going to avoid using some certain words intentionally, but I will try to explain the best I can without using the words. I hate to say that. Uh, you're going to see the words all over in cultural use. I'm going to be somewhat uh, careful about it. Uh, when I get done, if I did not do a good enough job and you have a specific question, please come ask me. Uh, there is nothing you're going to do or say that will embarrass me. I've heard it all. I've been asked it all. Much more than you probably could even ever know. So you can come and ask me. Let's start off by going over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you'll notice that today's bulletin article does go along with the sermon. That was so that I could try to uh, address exactly what was going on and why Paul had to deal with this. We're going to actually read from verse 12 through 20, and then I'm actually going to break it down really by, by sections of passages here out of 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll use some support passages. Uh, follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to start in verse 12. And notice the Corinthian congregation had a number of issues, and Paul is dealing with that, uh, and he's dealing with it by request. He says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but, the, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now this topic really could probably be the longest sermon of the year. Uh, it's actually going to be, I'm going to keep it on the shorter side, is my goal. That's my goal. <laughs> Notice in verse 13, let's start off. He says in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, that your body is not for fornication. 
Before we can even talk about fornication, the dangers of fornication, and what Paul has to say about it and all the other writers, you need to actually understand what that word means. And the reason I'm going to, to do this, as I always do whenever we touch this, is the primary sources, if you're looking on the old interweb, they're wrong. Okay? They are not, they're not specific enough. Okay? The, the majority of sources you go to will define pornea, the word, that's the Greek word for fornication used here in 1 Corinthians 6.13. They will define fornication, if you look it up, as unlawful intercourse. And it is. Here's the problem. That word pornea, fornication, does not refer only to intercourse. And here's the other problem. Some, because they don't even know what the word means, they've sinned and don't even know it. And I hate to say this, there are others who've tried to use that definition to get around being accused of fornication. With me being careful, they're saying, I did this and this and this, but I didn't do that. So the definition of unlawful intercourse while being part of pornea is not the full definition. And I'm, again, I'm, guys, I'm going to be as careful as I can. The word pornea is used to describe any unlawful intimate activity that includes the genitalia of somebody else. To make it simple for you, and this is not the definition you'll find anywhere else, but I'm going to make it simple for you. If you're, include, if you're involved in an intimate act with the genitals of somebody who is not your lawful spouse, you are committing pornea, fornication, okay? And you may say, well, what all, does that, what all does that include? All of those things that involve the genitalia of somebody who's not your spouse. That is the easiest definition I can give to you, okay? There is no better definition. That sums it all up. I could literally just stop the sermon right now, but I'm not. I'm going to go ahead and continue on. We're going to give you some warnings here, but that's the correct definition. It is not just unlawful intercourse. It is any acts, including the genitalia of somebody who is not your lawful spouse. Okay? I have to say that. You may say, well, what all does it include? Again, I'm going to be very careful. You will actually find that this word does include adultery, and that's because they're not your lawful spouse. It includes both male and female intimate relations. They use the words. I'm trying not to. I could just say them. Male and female, uh, male and male relationships, female and female, really all the acts within that, um, incest, prostitution. But normally when you find the word fornication, it is simply referring to two people who are unmarried. And we usually in our mind think, oh, there's just two unmarried people. But it includes a lot more. But can you guys at least give me a nod of the head? Does that understand what pornea is? Okay, good. It's a big, it's a big wide range, okay? I have to start off that way. I hate to, but I kind of have to. What exactly is the context of 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20? What is Paul dealing with? I tried to give you more information in the bulletin this morning in the article. One of the reasons Paul is writing about this is because there were those in Corinth uh, who had asked him to address certain questions, okay? It is obvious from the text that one of the questions they had was pornea, or as we have it rendered, fornication. That was a topic of concern within the congregation. Uh, and to be honest, this is a question I have had asked of me numerous times. Uh, maybe it's not worded that way, but either regarding different intimate acts or fornication as a term used in general. Um, and those are things that I've been asked quite a bit. And we've mentioned it here in a couple of more in-depth studies. So this congregation is worried about it, okay? And so they begin to 
asked Paul to deal with some things. And Paul had just given them a very serious warning. Let's go back to verses 9 through 11. And his warning is, not everything is lawful for you. And we're going we're gonna to touch on why they may have come to that conclusion, because Paul does. But let's reread verses 9 through 11, because one of the things he says that is not lawful is pornea. Those acts considered pornea. Those are not lawful. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not, a, be not deceived, neither fornicators, okay, we know what that word is, pornea, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, he starts to break it down into the areas of pornea. We know what adultery is. Nor effeminate, that is the Greek way of um, talking about um, um, male sex. I don't want to use that word. Uh, male activity, uh, intimate activity, where one actually is the receiving passive partner. That's the best I can do on that, guys. Effeminate. Um, Getting to get the idea of that, okay? Uh, he goes on. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And so he basically has called out a number of the things that we see within our society today regarding those types of sins within intimate relationships. Men with men, women with women, adultery, um, all of that stuff that we see today, he is having to deal with, okay? He says, these that do these, and he includes other stuff, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they shall, um, drunkards, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, right? Why? Well, the reason is, is because these things are not lawful. And I have to say that now because we're going to go down here and look in 12 and 13, and some people have misunderstood that. Why is Paul saying you can't do these? Well, they're not lawful, so let's continue. He points out, though, the Corinthian church as a whole um, used to be involved in these things, or some of them, and he says that, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, again, I know that the words I'm using, I'm doing the best I can, and I'm using proper terminology, but I'm still even trying to avoid some of that, okay? Uh, not that the words are wrong. I'm just trying to be respectful here. Paul is dealing with these types of, I'll use the word intimate as much as I can. Paul is dealing with a number of issues within the city here of Corinth. Um, and the city that we began to look at this, was uh, they were saturated in all of these types of issues. Okay. Now, why is Paul having to tell them some of these things are not lawful for you? Well, notice, let's go on over to verses 12 through 13. The reason Paul is telling that this is because many of them would have misunderstood their liberty in Christ. We got done just talking about Galatians. There is liberty for the Christian. However, they may have misunderstood what liberty allowed. Let's go on over, and people today also do. People today are like, oh, I'm, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. I can't sin. Notice what Paul says. Follow along, starting in verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful unto me but all things are not expedient. Guys, he just got done saying there are certain things that are not lawful. You can't do that. So you're probably saying, well, he's confusing me. What's he saying? Follow along. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now notice the examples very closely. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. 
Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You spend some time and you consider the context of what he's talking about here, and you begin to look at the examples. Let me ask a question here. I'm just going to stop. Um, is anybody in here mandated? Just shake your head. Don't scream out yet. Is anybody in here mandated to eat meat? I mean, if you're a vegetarian, is that okay? Do you have to eat meat? I don't have to eat meat. Can I eat meat? Yeah. Was that an issue with some of those in Corinth who were struggling with meat being offered to idols? Yeah. As you begin to go back and look at why Paul's dealing with this and the examples that he's using, and Paul here is talking about the, the, the liberty for a Christian, Paul points out that there are some things that are not lawful, at least if you want to go to heaven, and fornication is one of those things. But he begins to give us this idea as we begin to talk about meats, that he is talking about matters of liberty or matters of conscience. Okay? We have liberty in matters of conscience. Right? Do I have to eat meat that's been offered to an idol? No, nope, I don't. I have liberty in that matter. Do I have liberty in intimacy within my life? I do, but not with whoever I want whenever I want. There's no liberty in that. Why? Well, there are boundaries, okay? and we're going to touch on that. But Paul is letting us understand when he talks about liberty, he's talking about liberties in matters of conscience in which uh, we do not have a boundary already set. Okay, fornication was absolutely wrong, 100%. It's against the very nature of a Christian. And, and the essence of the Christian, especially within this society, as saturated with, with uh, the sexual problems that they have. Again, I don't, I don't have a different word to put in there. That's what that society was. They were saturated with it. And fornication is completely against how a Christian is to live, especially when they are to be set apart in this type of a, a city, okay? The end result for fornication, according to Paul, was damnation. And there is no liberty in any act of damnation. So for those that misunderstand this and go, Paul says we're in liberty, Paul makes it very clear that there are things you cannot do. The end result is damnation, and if the end result is damnation, there's no liberty in that. He can't be talking about that. He is talking about matters of conscience or matters in which we do not have uh, boundaries for, you know, uh, again, eating of meats and things like that. You can't misuse Paul's words here to teach that you have liberty to do whatever you want. Paul even flat out says you can't do these things. That is just bad theology by anybody who tries to do that. Do they do it? Yes, they do. Okay? The problem they are dealing with there is the same problem that we deal with in our society today. Corinth, and I have a different word, Corinth was a sex-saturated society just as much as ours is. Whether you're on Netflix or Facebook or whatever it is that you're on. And for those of you guys who, I love to go through reels. Uh, I don't know what you guys use, TikTok, whatever, but a lot of times if I'm wasting time, I just flip through and laugh and I am, sh I am shocked at the stuff that people post on there. Uh, and not that, not that the things that they're even posting or talking about are, are inappropriate topics to be discussed, but certainly not there or not in that situation. There isn't any biblical topic that is inappropriate to ever discuss from the pulpit, but we try oftentimes because of the nature or the environment and the people in the audience to somewhat limit those conversations, right? You guys know if you get on social media, you will see stuff that certainly probably should not be posted on social media or at least kept 
at least kept uh, within private conversations. When you go to the scriptures, the Bible doesn't hide these facts. The Bible doesn't deny it. The Bible really deals with it very plainly. Um, and these issues regarding intimacy, they're not dirty topics when they are kept in a, in a godly context or uh, the reason for asking, right? You can ask, you can ask the most embarrassing questions, and if it's a sincere question, there's nothing wrong with asking it or even discussing it. Um, but some people may be afraid to ask the questions. Some people may be embarrassed to ask the questions. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use Paul's words, but we are going to go back and do exactly what Paul says over in Acts 27. He said, For I have not shunned to declare you all the counsel of God. And that even applies to uncomfortable topics like this. And I will say this. I'm glad that the people in Corinth were not too afraid to ask Paul the question. Imagine if nobody had asked Paul, Hey, is this okay? Is this not okay? Because they were embarrassed. They'd have never known. So I'm glad that the people in Corinth were not, a, not too afraid to ask, and I am glad that Paul didn't beat around the bush and not give him the answer. Uh, because there are a lot of people today who simply do not have an understanding of biblical teaching on this. And there's a number of reasons why we need to know it, why we should discuss it, although I'm going to be very careful, and why we need to give attention to it. Let's just give, me, let's just give you one. We'll start off. Paul teaches very clearly the body is not for fornication. Again, look at 1 Corinthians 6.13. He says, meats for the belly and the belly for meats. Let me pause. Is there anything wrong with meat? Nothing wrong with eating meat. He goes on, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now think about this very clearly. God designed our bodies for a purpose. Our bodies have physical appetites for food, also for uh, intimacy. There's an appetite for that or for desire. And it appears that this was a question almost to the point that the Corinthians were saying, listen, God made us to desire food and there's nothing wrong with food, so if God made us to desire food and there's not a problem with that, then why did He give us this desire if He didn't expect us to, to do that? That seems to be a lot of what is going on that Paul is trying to come back and to answer. And guys, to be honest, that's the same thing we hear in our culture, right? How could it be wrong? God wouldn't make me want to do this if it could be wrong. Well, Paul begins to go back and to answer this with the teaching. And what he says is this, physical desires are not wrong in and of themselves, right? Food is okay, 100%. Intimacy is okay, but they have a purpose and they have boundaries. And they're only okay with when they're used for that purpose and within the boundaries. He makes it very clear here where he says food's okay. He basically, and he's going to continue on, he says intimacy is okay. However, he says fornication, that is a misuse of the Christian's body. God made my body, but fornication is a misuse of the body which God made. And from the very beginning, I'm only going to give you a couple of passages. From the very beginning of time, physical intimacy was um, designed and it was regulated. Okay, It's not wrong. Not wrong at all. It's not dirty, not gross, not wrong, but it has boundaries. Let me just give you a couple passages and we're going to move on. Let's go back to Genesis 2, 24 and 25. And therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. 
I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going, but let me pause for a, a minute. You hear a lot of people talk, go to the Bible and say, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. The Bible, you know, all the, all the verses are misused. The biblical definition for marriage is only and always a man and a woman. Here we find that the man will cleave to his wife. Those are the only pronouns ever used. You can't change that pronoun with something or that word with a different pronoun. Right? You can't change wife to husband or I saw an article about somebody wanting to marry an animal. You can't change that word. It's a husband and a wife. Okay? Now notice this. When he cleaves to his wife, they shall be one flesh. Okay? Husband and wife. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Why were they not ashamed? The reason they were not ashamed was this was a God-ordained union within the boundaries of what God has prescribed. A man and a woman who were joined together, cleaving to one another, and joined together as one in, in intimacy, and spiritually and physically. That's the best way to say it, okay? It has boundaries. It's not wrong. They weren't ashamed. It's within those boundaries. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 5 through 6. And said, For this cause shall man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. He knows what the Scriptures teach, and he knows the plan of God. And they twain, those two, shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So this is the boundaries for marriage. People say, oh, Jesus never taught... Jesus didn't have to teach about it. Jesus, he went back and reconfirmed the institute of marriage. It's a man and a woman, okay? Anything else uh, would violate that standard. And this is the only area, the only, this is the boundaries, a man and a woman, uh, in which God ordained physical intimacy. It goes back to that word pornea, right? That word describes all those acts, including the genitalia of somebody who's not your spouse. This is the boundary for marriage in which that, those acts, in which intimacy can take place. It's the only God-ordained one. Notice Hebrews 13, 4, and then I'm going to move on. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed, that word there is not bed, there, the word there is coite. It's where we get our English word coitus, and I'm not going to go back and define it. Most of us here know what the word coitus means. If you don't and you're old enough to, to study a topic, you can look that word up. Only look it up on the dictionary. Don't go anywhere else. Be very careful. But that word is describing the physical act, okay? Marriage is honorable in all, and that act, coitus, undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Why does he teach that? Because marriage is the only place for physical intimacy that is approved by God because it is within his boundaries. Everything else is involved in that word pornea. I'm trying to be very careful in general as I, as I approach this, but... As Paul said, the body is not for fornication, and the reason is, is because it violates God's boundaries. From the very beginning, here's the institution of marriage. Jesus reinstitutes what the conditions are for marriage. The Hebrews writer confirms all, all of that, that this one flesh can only take place within the marriage bond. Okay? I know that the world doesn't like that, and they don't believe that, but that's what the Scriptures teach. And so, very clearly we start off, the body is not for fornication. It was never designed for that. Was the body designed for intimacy? Absolutely. That's why we're all sitting here, right? You guys all remember, when a mommy loves a daddy, 
That's why we're here. That's what marriage is for. It's part of it anyways. Procreation is only one aspect of that. But that is supposed to happen within the marriage bond, okay? He says the body's not for fornication. Notice the next one. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Same verse. He says, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We live in bodies designed by God. That fact alone should cause us to want to live pure and righteous lives. Paul's point is this. The body's desire for food or even for physical intimacy is not wrong. It's not wrong. And we understand that. And you can't jump to the conclusion, well, just because my body desires it makes it okay. He points out that, no, it's not wrong, but we understand there are boundaries. I mean, he literally says the body is not for fornication, so there's, there are boundaries. Within the first century society, there was gluttony and every type of sexual sin you could think of, very common in the first century. And basically, Paul's saying, yes, even though these types of things are commonplace, when you go and you begin to commit sexual immorality, you've crossed that line because the body was never designed for that. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. It was not created for sin, but for carrying out righteousness. Let me go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul tells the church there in Rome, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now notice this. And be not conformed to this world. Let me pause for a minute. Fornication was very common within Corinth. And guys, it is today within our society in a number of different ways. All the different words that make up the acts there that we are described in pornea, they're seen in our, they are talked about openly in our society every day. They are shoved down our children's throats. They're shoved down our throat. We see them on TV. It is displayed right in front of us. I'm doing the best I can to not use those words, but it's literally shoved down our throat on virtually every form of social media and TV that we have, right? Very common for then and today. And Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, Paul's already come back and said, Your body's not made for fornication. That's not the will of God. Now, Paul points out a very fundamental teaching. We are a spiritual body, but we're also the physical body of Christ. Now, in a physical sense, we are God's hands, we are His eyes, we are His ears. We are, his, we are His legs. The Lord, though, is the head of the body. Colossians 1.18 And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Paul says, the Lord is for the body. I could spend a lot more time on this, but I'm not. Jesus came to this earth and He lived in a physical body. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, John 1, 14, and other passages. He did so without sin on our behalf. Hebrews 4, 15. And then He was hung upon a cross, and He died, and He has gone and prepared a place for the faithful. So He is, he is our shepherd. He is our head. He's our provider, our mediator, our redeemer. And you may be saying, what is all the point of this, Sean? Jesus endured a battle against sin for us. But He's not the only one vying for us. 
He endured a battle of sin for us, and yet today he's got competition. He is competing against pornea and all types of other sins out there that want us. He battled against sin for us, but there are others that are battling for us. And so here's, here's the question, who will you serve? This is the question to the Corinthians, right? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the lusts that lead you to, to be involved in these types of things, or are you going to use your body to serve Christ? The question that Paul is breaking down for them and forcing them to answer is the same question we have to answer. Yes, we see it every day around us. Yes, we see it on TV. Yes, we are tempted by it. And yes, our bodies even physically desire it. But now knowing what we know, and Paul's laying it out for them, he's basically saying, what are you going to do with this information? And what will you utilize your body for? Because Christ came to this earth and He lived in a physical body and He did so without sin and He died on our behalf. What will you do in return? Notice he goes on, 1 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, our bodies are members of Christ. It goes right along with what we're saying. Follow along. And God hath both, both raised up the Lord and will also raise, us, raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Let me pause so nobody gets really upset. Even though we're focusing on the topic I was asked to speak on, which is fornication, Put in whatever you want. Is it okay for me to go out and to steal? Is it okay for me to go out and, and to assault people? Is it, none of those things are okay. Right? Yes, we're focusing on fornication, but the idea is using my body to sin when I have an understanding of that is not the purpose of my body. And he begins to lay this out. He says, your bodies are the members of Christ. He's pointing out how illogical it is for any Christian to think that they could use their body to go out and to sin whether it's fornication, whether it's thievery, whether it's uh, whatever the sin may be. Listen to Romans 6, 3, and 4, and most of you are familiar with this. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? And therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life." So we have to die to sin before we can ever live eternally. And again, fornication would be just one of those sins. But that means all sin. And guys, as wonderful as our physical bodies are, the resurrected body will be so much better. Why, why would we misuse our physical body here in things that we know or we are told we should not do and miss the very chance we have of having these glorious resurrected bodies. Again, it's, it's not logical. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, if we break this down on an even larger scale, the universal church is joined to the pure body of Jesus Christ. Quit thinking about just you, even though you can't think, quit thinking about just you. This is, a, this is the church worldwide. We are joined to the body of Christ. That includes us as individual members. I, what I'm saying is this. We're all members of Christ, and we're spread out all across the entirety of the planet for all, all of the faithful believers. 
Baptism is a whole lot more than just coming and washing our body, 1 Peter 3.21. We know that our sins are removed uh, from our body. We're added to this spiritual body of Christ. And yet we, re we remain in our physical bodies while we're part of this spiritual body, the church. And that is so we can carry out the doing of the Lord's work. In all those things, our body is used for righteousness. We have matters in liberty of conscience, but we do not have liberty or license to sin. And that's why Paul, when he talks about liberty, he also at the same time says, but you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that. And today people read it and they're like, oh, we have liberty. To... That's bad theology. No, read it all. It's all. It all goes together. Let me give you another reason. Sexual immorality is a very personal sin. Notice verses 16 through 18. Paul's not done. He says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Again, now our bodies were designed by God, Genesis chapter 1. When a person commits fornication, they sin, they sin against a bunch of people. First and foremost is God. Then the person that they commit the act with, whether it's fornication or the other form of fornication, such as adultery, they also commit sin against them. And while they're doing all that, they also commit sin against themselves, against their own body. Let that sink in for a minute. Most people don't want to hurt themselves. But the majority of people don't think twice about committing fornication or having um, inappropriate activity, intimate activity with somebody who's not their spouse, not realizing that's exactly what they're doing. Hurting themselves, sinning against themselves, even though they're still sinning against and with that person and against God. And all of this, guys, if you think about it, is for a brief time of, of pleasure. Just for a brief time of passion, and then it's gone. And I'm not going to go back and spend all the time talking about the dangers. There's a number of dangers of, of this sin. Um, you would have things like disease. You could have things like unplanned pregnancy. You could have um, unfaithfulness uh, within uh, one's marriage. You could have unfaithfulness as a single uh, adult and damage to your reputation. And there's so many other different dangers, I can't even go back and add them all. Most of us probably know somebody who has dealt with one of these issues. Now for those who are here who are not yet married, let me put it this way. You are, you are giving something away that was meant only for your spouse, right? Here's what fornication is. Most people are like, oh, well, you know, we love each other. Fornication is a giving of the body without the giving of oneself as God has commanded within marriage. And what I mean is, is in Matthew 19, 5-6, Jesus teaches there has to be this, this cleaving together before the one flesh takes place. But what fornication is, is there's no cleaving, there's just a coming together. There's no commitment there. And again, it violates the boundaries. Jesus makes it very clear there has to be the cleaving before you can have the one flesh. Finally, here's another one. Paul's not done. He tries to break it down this way, that the temple was bought for a price. Verses 19 and 20. What? 
Know ye not that your temple is the temp- that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Now let's not miss what's going on here. Paul begins to talk about the body being a temple or a sanctuary. Now let this, let this go through your mind for just a second. The idea of a temple or a sanctuary being used to actually carry out sin ought to be extremely appalling to us. If my body is a temple, how is it that I'm using it to carry out sin? A temple is to be used in the work of God, right? Well, again, God didn't carry or design our bodies to carry out sin. Yes, we have physical needs and desires, but to be a temple means that to be, to be in the service to God, and that can never be done through sin. And so as you begin to think about your body, and Paul points it out this way, he says, you've been bought. You were purchased. That's literally what he's telling us. And the price was extremely steep. Listen to Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That was the cost. The cost for your sins to be forgiven was his blood had to be shed. That was the cost for him to purchase you, to buy you. Well, since we're purchased, our bodies don't belong to us. Paul literally says, you're not your own, right? We, we belong to the Lord. Yes, I'm here, but as a Christian, I'm to belong to the Lord, and I'm to carry everything out according to His will. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What's one of those iniquities? Fornication. What are some of the other ones? Well, we just sit and list them all. Adultery, whatever they are. Stealing, sin in general. Here's the summary of the whole matter. Whether you're talking about fornication or whether you're talking about some other sin, when the discussion of sin comes up, here's the answer. Listen to 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. The seed there is the word, Luke 8, 11. I didn't write that in my notes. Jot that down if you want to know what he's talking about. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, this is, this is misused all the time. John is not teaching it is impossible for a Christian to sin, as is taught by some people today. What he is teaching here is what I just covered. He's teaching you cannot allow yourself to sin because your body does not belong to you. It was purchased and the price was high. And you, as a Christian, are not allowed. You cannot sin because you know it is not allowed. He's not saying you can't. He's saying you cannot. You know you cannot. And the idea of even fornication or whatever the Corinthians are struggling with here should be as far from their mind as possible when they understand that they cannot sin as followers of God. It should be the farthest thing from their mind. Again, they were bought for a price. And so they can't go out and live selfishly just because they have a physical appetite, whether it's desiring food or, or intimacy. Guys, I desire food and I have to eat. Is it okay for me to sit down and to have 12 brats and three packs of black licorice? No, I could do it. I have liberty. It's not a good idea right there in a matter of conscience, right? There are some things that we can do that are not a good idea. Then there's other things that are, there's boundary set that I cannot do at all. You know that I feed rat po- or mouse poison to the mice in my garage when they come? Can I eat it? I can if I want. 
but I shouldn't. There's a boundary there. It says right on the package, do not eat this. What was Paul telling the Corinthians? Don't do that. Stay away from it. There's a boundary. Okay? The whole idea of, of using our bodies in ways that are, one, either illogical, or two, that are extremely dangerous, is easy to see as Paul begins to point this out. Guys, the acts of intimacy that he's talking about here, which occur between a husband and a wife, that is supposed to be the joining of both body and heart to two that have cleaved together. And that can only be achieved within marriage. It cannot be achieved in any other type of relationship. And outside the marriage bond, these intimate acts are a sin against oneself and against God. And that's why we're supposed to guard our hearts and our minds so that we don't sin against God. Listen to Colossians 3, 2 through 3. We actually opened up with verses uh, 5 and 6 this morning. Listen to 2 through 3. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now with that being said, I then have to end a little bit different. We do not want anyone to go out and to get involved in whatever the sin may be. And whatever the sin is, when you begin to look at the Scriptures, uh, it, that is great wickedness before God. Not just the act of fornication. I don't care what the sin is. Any sin is wickedness in the eyes of God. And yet, God desires us to be free from that guilt, either if it was committed before we became a Christian or if it was committed after we became a Christian. And He has given us a way to do that. But the only way that we can actually be free of that guilt is if we're not a Christian yet is to come and to obey the gospel. Or if we are a Christian, is for us to repent and to come back and, and through uh, faithfulness and obedience to God, uh, show our good fruits. In essence, it is to repent, repent of that, turn from it, and to not do it anymore. 1 John 1, 7-9, I could give you some other passages. I point that out because I don't know what people here have done or not done. I pray nobody's done any type of sin. If you're here and you're carrying the baggage of, yes, I did these types of things, well, if you've obeyed the gospel and been faithful since, you are forgiven of that. And if you're here and you've done that since you obeyed the gospel, I pray you've repented of it and turned from it. But if, if you have not, you still have that opportunity. Uh, I've done all kinds of things in my life I'm not, I'm not uh, proud of. I don't carry the baggage of those things anymore because... One, when I became a Christian, I know those things were washed. But two, anytime I fall short, I try to repent of that. I do repent of that as we move forward. That's the goal of the Christian. We don't want anybody carrying around that baggage. So yes, I'm pointing out the fact that you shouldn't commit fornication any more than you should commit adultery or steal or anything else. But if you're here and you are a thief or you've done those types of things, there is a way to remedy that situation. And again, the way you remedy it is if you're not a Christian, obey the gospel. Let us sit down and teach you the Word of God. Make sure that you believe in Jesus Christ and understand who He is and why He came, that you can repent uh, and that you can confess Christ and you can be immersed in water for the remission of sins. If you're here and you're a Christian and you've done something where you've fallen short, repent of it, turn from it, and again, be faithful. And if there's a way we can assist you in any way this morning, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.